You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Megdahl, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at Locked On WBB. You can like us on Facebook or uh, go ahead and subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes, your podcast listen of choice. Also, just want you to keep in mind the Summit. We are live. Go to summithoops.com. Full 24-7, 365 coverage of women's basketball, with the exception of leap years, then it will be 24-7, 366. And somebody who is part of that world every single day and has done a tremendous amount, uh, doesn't need really an introduction, but University of Maryland coach Brenda Fries is here with us. Brenda, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Howard. Well, place I'd love to start is that you seem to have a habit of breeding professional players, and that has happened twice in this year's draft. Uh, I'm curious, just big picture, what it is you think about the program that allows that to happen? Because your recruiting classes are good, always, but you're not just sending McDonald's All-Americans into the professional ranks. Yeah, you know, I'm really proud of the fact of how many pros we have out there that have uh, just been so consistent on so many rosters. And, you know, that that's a big deal to us when our players sign with us here in Maryland is not only developing them and, and their game for, for us here at, at the college level, but with when their dreams or aspirations are for the next level is getting them prepared for, for what's next. And, you know, we're, we're really excited about the fact, like you just mentioned, I mean, we we haven't had a lot of McDonald's All-Americans all the time. When you talk about this most current group with Shatori Walker-Kimbrough and Brianna Jones and um, weren't listed on any of those All-American teams, top 50, top 60 players, but uh, we feel like we have the key ingredients in terms of uh, what we do here in Maryland to transition them to the next level. Well, it's hard to believe when you see the players they became uh, and, and are becoming, quite frankly, even now. When you look at uh, Bree Jones, and she's uh, part of Team Maryland North uh, up in Connecticut, and her her game seems to fit particularly well with what Kurt Miller is building up there. What are your thoughts about that, just specific to tactics, specific to what she's able to do, and how you think it relates to that roster? Yeah, well, the first thing Kurt Miller said to me was, you know, he's all about character in the locker room, and I can't say enough about Brianna Jones and just uh, every single day who she is or consistency level and then when you you know add uh, to what she brings to the court as a low post dominant player uh, you know I think she's going to fit in with that role really really well uh, she can score the basketball she can out of area rebound and uh, you know we have two other Terps up there with you know Alyssa Thomas and now Lynetta Kaiser so you know I just think all those key intangibles are, are uh, going to allow her to be really successful for them. Do you think there's a dominant skill that will translate immediately? Uh, you know, obviously the two, like you talked about, the efficiency, she was second in the country uh, in terms of effective field goal percentage, but also the rebounding uh, percentage was right among the National League leaders. Do you see one or the other, or do you think both are right away just going to manifest themselves at that next level? 
Yeah, I think both. I mean, when, you know, I watched her up at the Garden last year go against Brianna Stewart, you know, one of the best players, obviously, in the country, and what she was able to do uh, from an offensive end. I mean, she's just really high IQ and knows how to position herself uh, to be able to score the basketball. And then, you know, just her ability to, to rebound on both ends of the floor, again, I think, going to transfer very easily. Yeah, I mean, the list of people who shot 12 for 14 from the field uh, while being guarded by Brianna Stewart is, uh, I believe, a list of one. So I, I, I agree with you in terms of that. In terms of her size, I wonder, some WNBA talent evaluators I talked to, they wondered whether 6-3 was going to be a limitation. Uh, you know, do you think that is less important than things like, you know, her reach and her ability to rebound? Do you anticipate that being something uh, that is uh a need for her to overcome when it gets to the WNBA. Well, you know, I think, I mean, one of the things I point to is that, I mean, she's gone against that, that size for four years in college, mm-hmm. and she's been very successful because of the fact of uh, her IQ and, and, and how she's able to position herself, uh, you know, on offense has been a huge asset. So, you know, I do think, I mean, she's, uh, you know, going to be able to transfer that quite easily. I think at times she's going to have to extend her range and be able able to, to pop out as well, but that's something that uh, she didn't shoot a lot of in college, but I know she has spent a lot of time on with, within her game. So is, is that what's next? That, that was my, my next question was, you think there's essentially a face-up game that needs to come, and how far out do you think is realistic, reasonable for her to get <laughs> you by year one? Yeah, you know, you know, obviously, I think uh, face-up game is is key. You're just mm-hmm. continuing to add those dimensions and being really hard to guard and within uh, typical offensive systems. So, you know, I think realistically out to the free throw line. But I know she spent all year, you know, the after every practice extending it out to the three-point line. She just didn't uh, shoot it a lot uh, during the year, nor needed to, you know. And just in terms sure. of, I think just the, you know, she she wants to be efficient. She doesn't want to have to take a lot. Of shots and um, I think that's what separates her as a winner and as a player is that she doesn't require a lot of shots to be really efficient yeah no no question about it and I, I'm really eager to see I, I think putting her uh, next to John Cole Jones is going to be interesting in and of itself uh, in terms of their complementary skills the Absolutely. other the, the other first round draft pick for you guys uh, Shatori Walker Kimbrough. So she goes to the Mystics, and the Mystics seem to have a requirement that you have to be able to shoot the three at an elite level. So obviously, uh, Shatori is a really good fit for that team. Do you think that she is going to be in a position to be able to get minutes right away in what is really a crowded roster, especially at the win position? You know, I mean, we've talked about that, and, uh, you know, patience isn't always Shatori's uh, best attribute because she's so competitive and, and wants to help immediately. But, uh, you know, I do think as a rookie and, and going into the Mystics and with the talent and the depth that they have, uh, she's really got to go in there and just be humble and hungry. And, and she's doing that. She's already been down there and has been in the gym. And, you know, I just know from Shatori's end she's going to do whatever she can possibly to, you know, help them in in any way uh whether it be you know through practice and training camp and and hopefully eventually games but i do think she's going to have to be patient but i know mike tebow and his staff are extremely excited about her potential and her future Uh, yeah i mean they they were 
worried she wouldn't drop to six, I know, and extremely excited to get her. She, she's just such a Mike Tebow player, too. It's going to be a great fit. And my favorite stat for her, of course, is the 54% she shot from three in her junior year, which is just a ridiculous thing to be better than break even from beyond the I mean, arc. it's it's incredible, and and to know and see, I mean, you know, Shatori came, came to Maryland as a slasher. I mean, <laughs> that was her game, and so to watch a kid put that kind of time in the gym, I mean, I, I used to joke her freshman year of long twos because her foot would always be on the line, and, you know, she just works. I mean, whatever she can't do, she she's going to get in the gym and, and work until she can do it, so I'm excited about what's out ahead for her. If there is a prop bet somewhere for will the Mystics set the record with the WNBA three-point line at this at this distance uh, in league history? Uh, the uh, Los Angeles Sparks set it last year at 37.5% as a team. I believe they're going to break that record this year, and Shatori will be a big part of that. Now, where that leaves your roster, of course, is an interesting one, and, and a much younger roster, and uh, in a bit of transition. I'm wondering to what extent you've thought about the way in which the pieces fit together and how you plan to put them into place by the time November rolls around. Yeah, you know, I think um, that, you know, every year there, there's going to be change, and obviously, as you see in our game between graduation and, and transfers, uh, you know, that's not going to go away. But what I'm most excited about is is what our team is going to develop into, and you know, that's something I've never shied away from. I mean, the year uh, we went uh, to the Final Four with Alyssa Thomas, and and as an All American, uh, the next year we had a totally different team, and and we went again, and so I think that's the exciting thing is that players are going to have uh, bigger uh, minutes, bigger contributions they've been patiently waiting for. Uh, we still you know, have Eliana Kristanaki who came from the University of Florida who is somebody that a lot of people um, you know, may not know of but mm-hmm. she is, <laughs> I mean we talk about losing Chitori and what she can bring to the table, uh, of pr- just a, a, an incredible scorer. So we're going to be able to work that out. We're, we're playing in the World University Games and August over in Taiwan so uh, the exciting thing is is we're going to get you know a lot of time together this summer which uh, you know is going to be tremendous for our team going into to next year. Chris Tanaki you think there's going to be a starter for you? You know, I never uh, say that right now, but sure. I, I'll say, I mean, she's she's already made a huge impact. Uh, you know, she was a starter at Florida and, uh, you know, put up big numbers, and, and she is exactly what we needed in terms of the, the ability to be able to score the basketball. Excellent. And, and World University Games, hopefully there'll be some way for fans to be able to watch that. That's always always a question of access. Do you, do you know of that offhand? Do you think it'll be streamed online? You know, or? it's supposed to be streamed online. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, I'm just coming up for for air in terms of I'm really sure. even getting diving into that even more. But um, yes, it is supposed to be online. Good. Well, we'll we'll, we'll make sure to tell the world about it. The, the other question uh, that I had in terms of your returners, you know, obviously the Oregon game was not what you were hoping it would be, but it was notable to me that both Brianna Frazier and Stephanie Jones were actually perfect from the field. That came off and were key contributors in that moment. Do you do you see the two of them as as cornerstones when you think about what your team can be uh, coming up next year. 
Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really excited for for those two because Brianna Fraser has put in the work. Uh, she's been patient, waiting behind uh, Brianna Jones, and not necessarily getting uh, probably the minutes she deserved in, in terms of sitting behind a pro. And uh, you know, I think she's going to have a major breakout year. Steph Jones, uh, you know, what can you say? She's a sister of Bree Jones mm-hmm. and that family and those characteristics. But you know, coming into last year, she was uh, you know wasn't probably fully healed off of her ACL uh, surgery and injuries until like February so her her you know she's trying out uh, for the USA basketball uh, trials the U19 team this year and um, I just think the two of them Kyla Charles and her versatility I, I think there's some exciting things for the the three of them in terms of what they're going to be able to bring uh, you know inside and and Kyla you know inside and out I cannot wait to see their development and, and see the way you, you get to mold and shape them. Now, in the meantime, during your off season, uh, as everyone understands it, uh, coaches get to put their feet up and relax and go to the beach for like six months till uh, practice starts in October, right? That's how, that's how this goes? <laughs> yeah, right. And, uh, you know, we teach classes and, you know, uh, you know take this big break. Uh, you know, Congratulations. It's kind of um, that that myth out there, you know. What do you do after after the season's over? So, um, but no, it, it's it's always nonstop, uh, you know. Between you know, you really don't get a breath until May uh, when when your your players leave for a little bit. But you know, for us, I mean, June starts back camps as well as getting our team prepared to uh, leave for Taiwan in August. So we're gonna have a busy summer. Uh, busy off season in, in terms of what you're doing. You're always recruiting. You're always um, you're having official visits on campus, and so um, you know it, it's tough to find uh, you know many of those windows. But we try when we can. And so, what do you do to decompress? What's your your stress relief? Your your technique to be able to do that? Well, you know, I do think it's it's important to find the windows when you can, and I know our staff does that in May. Um, I was fortunate this year, you know, our, our Easter break for our family uh, fell at the right window, so we, we got about four or five days before the draft in April to, to take a little uh, getaway with, with the family. But um, for me, you know, uh, I, I feel really normal when I can read and go to movies and, and go for runs and, <laughs> um, you know, spend time with my family, you know, because so much of that time is missed during the season. So no uh, just finding all those moments. And do you have any book or movie recommendations out of that time? Anything that you can uh, tell the listeners about? Uh, you know, right now I'm actually, uh, you know, I, I'm always into something where I can get better and learn, and I'm actually reading uh, Jay Wright's book, Attitude. Mm. Uh, and I've always, uh, you know, my conversations with him, I've always admired him from afar uh, as he's, you know, I had a lengthy conversation with him when he came in a couple years ago and scrimmaged our men in-house. And everything I've read, I'm only up to like chapter six, but uh, everything I've read is exactly kind of how I viewed him in my lens. I, I just think he is a high character, you know, just his value systems and, and what I believe I've, is really lined up with. So um, I've really enjoyed the read and just need to find more time so I can read more. I'll have to pick that up. Jay's someone who I, I always find very impressive. But let's talk yeah. in, in terms of that as a jumping off point. The idea of whether women's basketball is some somehow apart, somehow separate, somehow different uh, than the men's game in such a way that, among other things, 
the idea of women coaching men is taboo, is a difficult uh, bridge for many people to cross. And, uh, you know, that conversation comes up often. And it always strikes me as leaving aside the questions of chauvinism that I think play a part in how some of it is directed, a lot of it comes down to just people not seeing it happen on a regular basis. And so when the conversation is about why are there more men coaching in the women's game, why aren't there more women coaching in the men's game, it comes down to opportunity to me. I think it's fairly simple. You could have a much better window on this than I could. Do you see it that way? It is as simple as a question of opportunity on any of these questions. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I mean, if those opportunities were available or people were thinking like that or thinking outside the box, I guess you would you would hear more of it. Correct. I mean, yeah. you would um, have those windows. No one's ever contacted me uh, to to coach a men's team, but right. you know, you get those all the time on the women's side. So, um, you know, and there might be a potential. I mean, for for some women, it's just a comfort level, and and and. You know, but it is the norm, right? And I mean, it's such a small percentage of women out there that that are are coaching, you know, in a man's world that uh, I'm I'm not sure that it's going to be changing anytime soon. I mean, there's what's striking for me, right? There's an opening at Georgetown that comes up, and 30 minutes away, less. There's a coach, a basketball coach who has won a national title who has routinely gone to Final Fours, who has navigated a successful program uh, at the University of Maryland. And the fact that you didn't get a call, and that's no reflection on Georgetown, that's the, re- that's the reality of the way this is approached right now, that there's, no, there's not even an attempt made. And if you had gotten a call, it would have been national news instead of there is this enormous pool of talent of coaches that somehow... On the women's side, like you said, the pool is available for men and for women. But in reverse, I I know Becky Hammond, among other things, had to weigh whether if she made a choice to leave the Spurs and go to University of Florida, would she be setting back the ability of a woman woman to prove otherwise by X number of years? Do you think, you said you don't expect it to change anytime soon, but don't you think this ought to be A, talked about more, and B, beyond opportunity, it's such a no-brainer to be able to expand the talent pool? Uh, no question. No question. Uh, every point you just made is is right on. It's accurate. Um, I mean, you could, I think you could layer it even further, though. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not naive enough that, it, you know, I mean, you can look in the newspaper, you can look on television, everything is dominated. It's a men's world. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate, you know, we could win the same championship, you know, as someone on the men's side and where that coverage falls. We're fortunate <laughs> where we live and, and how well they take care of us, but it isn't the same. And uh, the the coverage isn't the same and, and you know, whether it's print or media, but um, you I know, mean, it, people it, like Becky Becky Hammond are, are trying to help and, and trying to, to tr- change those viewpoints a little bit more day by day. Ultimately, do you think the goal should be that there is one basketball, that there is basketball with equal coverage? I know we are miles and miles away from that. That's a, a, a big part of, quite frankly, my my professional long-term goal is to do whatever small thing I can do to help change that balance. But a balance where 
we have equivalent coverage and that the games are viewed interchangeably by people on both sides of the ledger. Yeah, no question. I mean, you'd you'd love to be able to to see that lens. I think uh, it's steered, you know, from a media's end uh, based on ratings and what people are watching and and who they're they're. You know, I mean, you know, I've said this as well. We as women have a responsibility to, you know, watch the WNBA or to to give you know a more meaningful. Um, you know, sometimes I think as women, we we don't do enough to to support women, and we we need to do even more, you know, in that wavelength as well. Although but, I, yeah. I I guess the counterpoint to that would be that you know women are exposed to the same media as men. So if women are consuming media, that for every one story about women's basketball does 200 about men's basketball it's hard for you know there's not like some secret society of traveling media that allows women to have secret access into all this hidden coverage of women's basketball that can come out i mean it's just it's just not yeah. there on the same well, regular basis and people can't breathe the same air that they yeah. find routinely about steph and about, and about lebron and everyone else on the men's side yep well uh, said uh, well, well, I, I, well, I'm excited that you and I can do the something today to uh, begin to change that. I, I, I predict that this interview will be precisely the thing that tips the scales. And by next week, you and I will be talking about all the coaching rumors uh, involving you. So I'm very excited <laughs> about that. Awesome. Well, <laughs> well, Brenda, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it as you're coming up for air. And I uh, hope you get more movie and book time before you, you jump back into it. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And and to our listeners, thank you for listening. A reminder to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB, to like us on Facebook. Go ahead and rate and review us uh, on iTunes, your podcast listen of choice. And make sure you visit SummitHoops.com, the summit, full-time coverage of women's basketball. I am Howard Meddahl, wishing you a wonderful day.